If you've got a Bible with you, and I hope that you bring that with you, if you've got a Bible with you, I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Let me ask you this real quickly, all right? When you were a kid, or maybe even today, um, did you ever have a favorite animal? And I don't mean like a pet. I mean, I don't mean like, you know, Charlie, who was my border collie. I mean, like an animal. Do you ever have a favorite animal? Kitty cat. Yeah. What else? Anybody else got one? Monkeys, like the little ones or like gorillas, big ones, little bitty monkeys, right? Cows, cows. I like cows today on my plate, right? There's good beef, right? So when I was growing up, I had a favorite animal. My favorite animal was a lion. Now, here's the thing. I had a real scientific reason for liking the lion. It's simply this. My name starts with L. And every time I picked up an ABC animal book, the name or the animal that was with L was lion. So it's a very selfish reason, right? Y'all are acting like y'all don't pick up those books and look for your letter first to see what's there, right? And I had it on both ends, Lyle Larson, so I had double L's. And so lions were always my favorite animal. I just, when I went to zoos, I wanted to see lions. Uh, I wanted to be, I wanted to be around them. I wanted to see them. I'm not close. I didn't want to be real close to them. I wanted to thing in between us. But lions are amazing animals, right? No, no. There is a difference between the kitty cat in your house. And I will give you some of those differences right now. All right. First of all, cats are the most social. I mean, cats, lions, you got me all bum puzzled. Lions are the most social of the cats. So your cat at your house is not a social animal, right? It freaks out for no reason. Lions live together in packs of about 15. Now, when they're there together, the male has a job. His job is to protect the rest of the family, to protect the herd, the pack. And the female goes out and hunts for the food. She drags the food back. And guess who gets to eat first? The males do. That's right. They get to know ladies first in the lion kingdom. Um, a lion's roar can be heard five miles away. Now, your kitty cat can't do that, all right? Lions, when they run, they run not on their heels. They run on the front of their paws. You can tell how old a lion is by the color of their mane. The, the older a lion gets, especially the male, the older the lion gets on the mane, it, his hair on the mane turns darker, just like human men. As they age, their hair gets darker, right, guys? That's right. Lions are able to um, run in short distances at 50 miles per hour and can jump 36 feet in one leap. And here's the thing that all of us admire about lions. Lions, especially the males, sleep on average 20 hours a day. And all of God's men said, amen, right? They are amazing creatures. And I, you know, I do, I marvel. And I was watching this show one time. There's a show on Discovery or TLC or whatever, you know, all those, all those channels that did stuff, Science Station ID. There was a show one time 
about a, a, there was a Sahara reserve out in Africa that they were having problems because the lions were trying to attack the safari jeeps that were going through. Well, the problem with that is inside the safari jeeps are people. And they were going to have to shut down the park if they couldn't get the lions to be tamed. And what I wanted to say, and I did say at times to the TV, and I'm sure it heard me, is that's what happens when you put people into a lion's habitat, right? Right? I mean, that's what happens. It's kind of like, a, you know, the movie. I mean, I know Jurassic Park's not real in Jurassic World. We went to see Jurassic World this week. And I always thought it was an interesting movie premise. Let's recreate dinosaurs from their DNA and then put people in a park with them. What could go wrong, right? Well, it's the same thing with lions. What could go wrong? And so this show is about this guy who was trying to infiltrate a group of lions and become the alpha male so he could make them understanding of the cars coming by. It was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen, right? He's trying to sleep with them. and pet. You don't do that with animals, right? I want to do something just kind of as a comparison, all right? And I, we may not have this. We may have to kind of go down a little bit. And if you don't want to admit this, that's, that's fine. But anybody here um, close to 70? Who's close to 70? Anybody? Steve Moore. Come on, Steve. I need you up here. Steve. This is Steve Moore. Everybody say hello to Steve. Um, so here's the thing. All right. Steve's near 70 ish. Right. Okay. Steve's in good shape. He worked construction this week on Brazil team, loaded some blocks. I mean, he looks like he's in good shape. He does the juice plus stuff. And so he's, he's always, you know, treating his body well and doing all that. So here's my question. All right. Steve near 70 ish. Who are you going to take one-on-one Steve or a lion? Who you got? How many you got Steve? Hey, nobody got Steve. How many you got the lion? Let me see. Some of you didn't raise your hand. You don't know? Who's going to win that? Lion. All right, you can go. Thank you, sir. All right, go give Steve a hand, all right? Here's the thing. As he did a very difficult task. He walked on this stage, all right? Here's the thing. When we hear, we're going to talk about the story of Daniel Lyons Den today. When we hear that story, oftentimes I just imagined for years in my mind that Daniel's like 20, 25 years old, 15 years old. But if you read through Daniel and you find out what's happening there, what you discover is that Daniel more than likely was 70 to 85 years old. And so Daniel in the lion's den takes on a completely different understanding because we all know that kids in their teens and early 20s do crazy things. Amen. Amen. Right. I didn't get any amens from down here, but I got some hearty ones out there. Right? They do crazy things. But when you hear that Daniel is probably 75 years old. When he is thrown in the lion's den, you realize that this was the guy that had lived life for a long time and still would not do what they wanted him to do. Over the last three weeks, we've looked at three particular traits that it takes to live in a world that has gone haywire. We called the series Surviving Babylon. And these are the three traits we've talked about that Daniel and his friends showed in the first part of Daniel about how to live in a world that's not just ambivalent or lackluster or apathetic about your faith, but is actively working against it. Actively working against it. This is what we talked about the first week we said, if you're going to survive in that kind of environment and thrive, even you've got to have resolve. 
It says in the very first story of the book of Daniel, when they're offered food from the king's table, because of some things that would have been involved in that and some things they would have gone against their law on, he says, Daniel says, that he resolved not to do it. You have to decide before it comes that you're not going to do it. You're not going to go that way. Uh, Big news happened at the Southern Baptist Convention this week because the president of the convention, who's a pastor in Arkansas, Ronnie Floyd, just said that he resolved and that we as a convention resolved that some of the things that are coming down from the Supreme Court and some of the things that are happening in our society, we will not participate in some of that as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have to have that resolve. You have to have it from the outset. You can't get in the situation and then decide. It's like you talk to, to, to teenagers that are dating. You can't be in the car and then decide. You gotta have resolve before them. You gotta have hope though. We have resolve. We say we're not gonna do it, but we trust in the Lord and have hope for what He's going to do. And we talked about one of the greatest verses in all of Scripture when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are about to go into the fiery furnace and they say that Listen, I trust that my God is able to deliver me, but even if he doesn't, I will not bow. That's because of their hope in him. And then we talked about humility. Daniel always seemed to have favor with the people he was working under. It's because of the way he served. The the example last week was the king comes with a dream and it's a bad dream about the king. And Daniel says, if it were anybody else, I'd be happy. I don't want it to be you. And this week we're going to talk about the fourth. And this is going to end this part of it. We're going to pick up after um, next week. We're going to talk about some of the issues of our day and how we respond to them, how Daniel might have. This is the fourth thing we're going to talk about today, and it's wisdom. That if we are going to survive and thrive in a culture that is actively set against us, we're going to have to have wisdom. Now, truthfully, when we talk about wisdom, you could go in many, many directions. And we don't have time to do all that today. And so we're going to focus on two areas that we're going to really kind of hone in on. The first one is this, that wisdom equals perspective. Wisdom equals perspective. I read this week that you can tell where someone is on the maturity scale by how much perspective they have in life. And that perspective comes through experience and knowledge and understanding as we grow older that there are bigger things involved and through the understanding of Jesus Christ that we're part of a bigger thing. For instance, children do not have a long-term perspective. If you offer a child two pieces of candy now and say, but if you wait for three hours, I will give you ten pieces of candy, what is the child going to want? What are they going to take? The two. Because they cannot imagine what it's like to get the ten. Now, the truth is, some of you are adults and you're like, I'd take the two. Right? They can't understand that there's something bigger going on. They, They don't have a perspective to kind of step outside of it. That's one of the reasons I lament that our society is now catering to generations that are younger and younger. I don't know whether you know this or not. I'm, I'm, a, I'm in my, well, I'm, I'm closing in on 40 in a year. Okay, I'll be 40 years old. I am not somebody that advertisers or television producers care about at all. I'm too old for them. 
And it seems there's youth movement in our society, and sometimes that brings energy, and sometimes that brings vitality. But what happens is, when we move younger, we lose the perspective of those that have lived. We need to be able to see our entire situation. Daniel, even before we get to the lion's den, was able to determine places he needed to stand and places he didn't need to. He used his wisdom to determine when he needed to fight back and when he didn't. Because he had a good perspective of what was happening. He knew that God was in complete control so he could trust him in difficult circumstances. Christianity, Christian faith, lost a valuable member of our family this week. It's this lady. Now you may not have a clue who this is. This is Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot died this week at the age of 88. Elizabeth Elliot has written many books through the Gates of Splendor. She's written a book, Passion and Purity, that was when I was in college, was huge. Lots of, um, lots of college-age girls, high school-age girls have walked through that study, Passion and Purity. It's an unbelievable study. Elizabeth Elliot was actually born in Belgium where her, her parents were missionaries. She moved to the United States, went to Wheaton College, and at Wheaton she met a guy named Jim. And she and Jim both went on mission together. And they ended up going to... Um, this tiny country where they would both serve. They served in two separate parts of it. When they were in college, Jim thought that she was the one and she thought Jim was the one, but they thought they needed to go do a missionary experience first to figure stuff out. And so they were both in Ecuador working and Jim finally convinced her to marry him about six years after they had been working there together. And in Ecuador, um, she, <laughs> Jim's condition was that you say yes to marry me and you learn the language before we get married. That was his stipulation. They served together in Quito, Ecuador, and then Jim found out about this tribe that had not been reached with the gospel. So Elizabeth and Jim moved their young family to this tribe to make contact with them. Have you ever watched End of the Spear? This is their story. Jim met three of the tribesmen, had good conversation early on with them, and then something went wrong and the tribe killed him and several in their party. Elizabeth Elliot... Instead of running back to the United States or running away from the situation, took her infant child and went back to the village. Learned the language, met a woman, and eventually most of that tribe came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. When Elizabeth and Jim were working together, thinking about doing all this stuff, Jim kept a journal. It's at Wheaton, you can see it. In the middle of the journal... He wrote this statement. Some of you have heard this probably, but it's an amazing statement. Especially with what happened with his life. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's perspective. That's wisdom. The truth is, most of us as Christians, part of the reason we are going to have a difficult time impacting the culture that is becoming increasingly hostile against us is because we care too much about stuff that we can't keep. Jobs, status, finances, houses. You know, the old joke is you never see a U-Haul behind the hearse. Now, living in Ripley, I did see a ski boat behind a hearse one time, and I don't know what that meant. To gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott gave up what he could not keep his own life to gain what he could not lose, which is eternal life with Jesus Christ. Here and now.
That's perspective. The second part of wisdom we're going to talk about, and we're going to get into the story in just a minute. The second part is we're going to talk about is this. Wisdom is faithfulness. It's just doing what God calls you to do all the time, every day, to the best of your ability. All right, let's look at Daniel chapter 6. We'll see his faithfulness in a minute. Chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It pleased Darius. Now, if you've been following along, that's not the same king. This is a new king. In fact, we're not sure this is a king necessarily, although he is over a section of the kingdom. We think Darius may be an underling. We're not real sure who he is. But the Babylonian empire that Nebuchadnezzar run, that attacked Jerusalem and brought Daniel back and his friends back, has now been taken over by another group called the Persians. Darius is with the Persians and he gets ready. They've got a huge kingdom now. And he sets 120 satraps, that's just like governors, to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials of which Daniel was one. So get the picture here. Daniel, at the age of 14 or 15, stripped from his home, taken back, done all kinds of awful things to. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. All kinds of awful things done to him. Begins to rise through the ranks to the point that at some point, Daniel has officially become somewhere around sixth or seventh in command for the entire kingdom. So to understand that day, he is the sixth or seventh most powerful man in the world. They're going to give account to these things so the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel in that group of three became distinguished. Above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And so now Daniel is not just going to be one of the three. He's going to be like on level almost with Darius. He's going to be third or fourth in command in the world. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. And here's the first thing I want you to understand. And this is perspective. If you follow Jesus Christ and live boldly for him, it will be a life filled with struggle. It will not be an easy or an ordinary life. It will be a life where people will seek out ways to complain about you. Now, that's true because Scripture tells us it's going to be true. Jesus tells his disciples, they're going to hate you. They hated me. They're going to hate you. They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. And we've had this false sense of security in America because for the last 150, 200 years, we can say what we want to about our faith. And nobody is it's taking us to jail. Nobody's really going after us. Nobody's taking away jobs from us. It's been this kind of cozy oasis in a desert of people who have are centuries been persecuted for their faith. Only in America could something like the health and wealth gospel develop. That says if you have enough faith, God's going to give you everything you want. You seen these people on TV? You see the guy that just got him a jet plane? We're going to start a fundraiser for the Lyle Larson jet plane fund. How's that going to go? I just need a plane to fly places, all right? People telling you that if you just follow the Lord, you'll have the best life now. I believe it's the best life, but it may not be now. 
But it's not going to be easy. What had Daniel done wrong here? What had Daniel done wrong? Nothing. In fact, they can't find anything to complain about at all. And yet they are still after him. Can I tell you something? You can follow the Lord to the absolute best of your ability, the way that God intends for it to happen, and trouble and struggle will still find you. I read um, we, as deacon body here at the church, we're reading a great book, and staff has read it, and I would highly recommend it to any of you. It's called The Insanity of God, and it's about a guy named Nick Ripkin, who was a missionary in Somaliland, and just terrible things happened to him. In fact, um, I read, I've started reading the second book he wrote, and the introduction to that, they say, most people wouldn't consider it a success when you go into a country and there are 140 believers, and when you leave, there are two. Because the rest of them were killed. Church is persecuted all over the world. Well, at the beginning of that book, the president, the current president of our IMB wrote the four, David Platt, and he said that he believes to accomplish the Great Commission reaching every tribe, tongue, and language in this world will be a great struggle that will prove to be worth it in the end. And he breaks those three things apart because the Great Commission will be fulfilled. Jesus said it would happen. Jesus called us to do it. We are his instruments. He will do it. He said, but it will take struggle and difficulty and pain. But this is what Daniel knew and allowed him to stand firm. It is worth it in the end. Too many of us in America have lost our perspective. And we've become like children that would rather take the two candy bars now instead of getting the million later. And we want comfort and protection and safety and security and money and houses and good jobs now. And our culture may be coming to a point where we've got to make a choice between that and a reward that we cannot lose. I love this next verse. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Wouldn't it be unbelievable to be said about you? I can find nothing wrong with them except that he loves Jesus too much. There's nothing wrong with this guy. He's done nothing wrong except he is too devoted to his God. So they're going to set him up, right? Most of you know this story. Here's what happens next. Then these high officials, satraps, came by agreement to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. That's what you said to a king, unless you wanted your head cut off, all right? All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. And here's what we want you to say, king. Here's what it says. That whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days. Now, here's the thing. They're not saying that Darius is God. What they're saying is that Darius is the most important person in the land. And to get to God, you've got to go through Darius. And anybody that tries to go around Darius is in contempt. O king shall be cast into the den of lions. That's kind of self-explanatory, right? It's not a cave. It's probably a pit. They would seal up, drop you in. Four or five lines hanging around, hungry. I don't like those odds. You don't either, right? Now establish the injunction so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And the next verse tells us, 
that King Darius signed the document and injunction. So you know what the setup is, right? They're out to get who? They're out to get Daniel. They set up this injunction. And the next verse tells us what Daniel does. And I love the way he says it. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper room, chamber that went towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He just did what God called him to do. When Daniel knew that it had been signed, he didn't cower, he didn't waver. He just decided, this is something I'm not going to compromise on. I'm going to go do what I do every day, three times a day. I'm going to be faithful to it. I'm not going to choose to do something other than that. Whatever the result is, I'm going to be faithful to my God. Now, here's what I love about Daniel, all right? His wisdom is this. His perspective and wisdom is this. His faithfulness is this. He knows the areas that he can complain and be upset about and, and, and say, I'm not going to do that. And then he knows other areas that aren't that big of a deal. And he says, that's not a hill to die on. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to roll off my back because i got to focus on the big issues. So Daniel, remember we said he had tons of bad stuff done to him. He's ripped out of his home. He's taken to the Babylonian place. He's put in the Babylonian school where he's taught Babylonian religion, where he's taught Babylonian occultic stuff. He's probably castrated in order to make him part of the king's part. He has all this stuff happen to him, and yet you don't see him complain once or reject once. The schooling, serving the king, and if it happened, the castration. But when something comes to him that directly defies what he's supposed to do as a servant of the Most High God, he stands firm. Now, here's why we need to know that. For many years, we have been really bad at choosing our battles. Do you remember several years ago when the Southern Baptist Convention boycotted Disney? Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that? I mean, it really affected a lot of y'all because y'all don't ever go. I know. I mean, our church is the most Disney going church I've ever been a part of. I mean, it really affected the company, right? They're like one of the largest companies in the world now. It sounded like good things. And here's what's kind of crazy about it. Here's what we said. That non-Christian company is doing non-Christian things, so we're not going to give them our business. We're going to take a stand right here because those people that don't believe in Jesus are acting like they don't believe in Jesus. And we want them to act like they believe in Jesus, even if they don't believe in Jesus, so we're going to boycott them. And they went, okay, go ahead. That wasn't a wise battle to fight. And what happens is when you fight all those little battles, when the big ones come along, you've lost your ability to stand. People just don't listen anymore. And I just want to be real honest with you. Some big ones are coming. Daniel just did what he was supposed to do. He was faithful. He didn't make a show about it, did he? He did what he always did. Now, guys knew what he always did, and so we know in the next verse they saw him. They came by agreement, found Daniel making a petition, and they go immediately to King Darius and say, King Darius, didn't you sign something? Next verse says they went to him in accord. King, didn't you say that if anybody said a prayer to anybody but you, that you would be cast in the den of lions? And Darius' response is, that's absolutely what I said, and it can't be changed by the laws of the Medes and Persians. The next verse reminds us that Darius wasn't going to be able to go back on that, and they answered him and said, Daniel, one of those exiles, pays no attention to you or the injunction you have signed. He three times a day makes a petition. And here's what's so amazing about Daniel. We talked about this last week, but here it is again. 
the king wants Daniel to be right. When he heard these, he was distressed and he set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. But the sun comes down and they say, King, no, that is the law of the Medes and Persians. It can't be changed. The king established it. It can't be done away with. And it tells us in the next verse that Daniel was brought to be cast into the den of lions. And the king declares to Daniel, May your God, who you serve continually, Deliver you. The pagan. Occultic king. Is hoping. That the one true God is right. Now spoiler alert. You know the story right. Daniel doesn't get eaten right. Here's what it says. Stone was brought laid over the den. King sealed it. The signet with the signets of his Lord. It tells us the depth at which the king was concerned about Daniel. He spent the night fasting. No diversions. He sleep fled from him. He couldn't even go to sleep. He couldn't think. He didn't want anybody around. He just wanted to be in quiet by himself. The next morning it tells us that he arose and he runs to the den of lions. He comes near the den of lions. Daniel and he cries out in a tone of anguish. He, he's got that, that voice of someone that is desperate. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God. Whom you serve been able to deliver you. Please, please, please be okay. Can you imagine our culture right now saying to us, Church, please be right. Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels, shut the lion's mouth. They have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and before you. I have been done no harm. The king was exceedingly glad. Commanded Daniel be taken up. Daniel was taken up. No kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. We're not going to go through the rest of the chapter. You can go to just a few verses. But the king starts praising God's name. And here's what I want you to understand. This is kind of the premise of the whole series. I believe that in America, the church has lost its ability to stand and scream on city hall steps and the world to listen to us. We have gone from those that they just kind of ignored to now there's even some hostility towards us. And if we are going to make a positive impact on our culture, we've got to be like Daniel who resolved not to defile himself who cast his hope on Christ, not on anything in society and what it can do, who was humble in his actions towards those that are not believers and whose wisdom led him to make decisions about when to stand and when not to make a big deal. Wednesday night, we did Bible study here. and I left here and I went home and got kids to bed, which is kind of my nightly routine. I kind of sit down and decompress, check the news for the day and that kind of thing. And I was looking through Twitter. And as I was looking through Twitter, I, I saw this story start to develop about a church. And church shootings are kind of, um, you, they don't happen very often. And we were actually in Fort Worth. I don't know if you remember this many years ago, the Wedgwood shooting. We had good friends that were at Wedgwood Church when somebody walked in on a seat at the pole rally and shot people there. One of our good friends was on the staff there and in the room. You've all seen the Charleston shooting stuff, right? Just tragic. Our brothers and sisters in Christ 
killed doing exactly what we were doing on Wednesday night. In fact, I got an email from a church member that said, I couldn't help but think about standing in the hallway, talking with each other, laughing about what's happening, knowing that at that exact moment, people were being murdered for being in their church. I don't know if you followed a whole lot of the story. It's a tragic story. But I don't even know what day it was. I guess it was Friday maybe that they um, arraigned him, brought the guy in. They caught the guy. They arraigned him. They put him in there. And the way they do it now is they have the video camera from jail, so he's not actually in the room. And they let the victim's families speak. Did anybody see that? Just powerful stuff. And as they began to speak, almost every one of them said, you have caused me a great deal of pain, but I forgive you. Some of them even said, I pray for your repentance and coming to faith in my Jesus. I saw a kind of wisp of that happening. I didn't see it live, but I've watched some of the videos since. And then I saw this tweet that started to get retweeted and favorited and sent around. And all it said was this. It was from a guy that was an atheist. He said, I'm an avowed atheist, but I have to admit, watching those people Forgive the attacker is compelling evidence for their faith. Makes me think, dot, dot, dot. Here's what I thought. I mean, I've been studying Daniel all week. I mean, I've been studying it for a month now. Those people's faithfulness is what led them directly into the firing line of a guy who was spewing hate. And yet... We can see rise from the ashes because of the way they treated him and even the way the families are treating him and the story. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is being shown for the loving, compassionate thing it is even in the midst of tragedy. My prayer is that when the time comes for us to stand and it will come, that we will do so resolutely with hope and humility using the wisdom God has given us. Let's pray together.